Good to see all of you joining us on Facebook Live. Actually, I'm not seeing you, uh, but I uh, assume that you are there, cafe folks. Uh, we will see you later. God bless all of you. How y'all doing? You good? Uh, it is a slim crowd this morning, which just means uh, if somebody steals all the toilet paper, we'll know who to look up. We'll, we'll, we'll know who to call. We're going to check Jack Wright's pockets on the way out this morning and make sure, uh, make sure uh, all our toilet paper is there. Man, y'all doing okay with this? Um, it is hard for me not to shake hands. And, and it feels weird. I feel like all of y'all are mad at me because nobody's... nobody's got within six feet of me this morning. Nobody's touched me. Um, we, we've all hugged each other in our minds, and, and that's how it is. The hardest thing for me is not touching my face. Like, I don't even think I did touch my face until they told me not to, and now it's just like, you know, I just want to. Uh, I always tell Casey, my eyes itch behind my glasses, and Casey tells me that's because that's where my eyes are. I always want to blame my glasses, but, but I'm trying not to do any of that. Uh, just to let y'all know, Casey and I are still using the same toothbrush for, I think so. I know Casey has a travel toothbrush, like when she goes away, and uh, she may pull that out, and I don't know it, but I think we're still using the same toothbrush, but if we, if, if, if it gets down to that, y'all know it's serious. It is, it has gotten serious. It, it is serious. I don't mean to make a joke. Let's, uh, let's do everything we can to protect one another and the members of this community. We just want to take really good care of each other. Uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Let's jump into the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus and Zacchaeus. I uh, ran into a guy a while back um, and uh, he said, you look really familiar. Where do I know you from? And I said, well, I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. And he said, no, that's not it. <laughs> and, well, uh, actually, what I didn't say to him, but I wanted to say is, dude, you've had, you've had supper at my house. Like, like this guy had, had had supper at our house, but then when he saw me out, he didn't know who I was. And part of me just wanted to go, you know, you've had supper at my house. Uh, but I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I said, well, I'm the pastor at Woodburn, and I, I, let it, I let it go with that. Because honestly, we all see so many people. I mean, there are just so many people in the world, and our lives are so full. And honestly, I don't think I'm that important or memorable. So, so if that guy forgot who I am, that, that really doesn't offend me. It, it, it doesn't really matter to, to, to me. Um, because I just understand our lives are crowded. The, the world is crowded and it's very easy for any one of us to become or feel like just a face in the crowd, which is what makes this story so amazing of all of the miracles that Jesus works and all the miracles that Jesus will work. There's just this little everyday miracle in this passage here in Luke chapter 19. It's this little everyday miracle of how Jesus focuses on the one man, the one man in the crowd, the, the one face in the crowd, the one little dude who really, really wants to see him this day. Jesus finds him, calls him by name, and, uh, and changes the man's life. As we will see here in just a moment, Jesus's mission, of course, is to seek and to save those who are lost. But what is amazing about that is that his mission to love and save the world doesn't keep him from loving and saving the one. You see that? Jesus loves the world. He loves everybody in the whole world. But that love for the world, that mission to save the world, it doesn't take his eye off the one. Jesus always, 
always makes it personal. He loves the one, and he finds the one today named Zacchaeus. This is just so good. Let's read together. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the Lord and said, I, I will, I mean, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, if we're reading together, and we are the, the Gospel of Luke, you may notice that there are uh, some themes that we've been seeing all through the Gospel of Luke that are, are continuing to come out here in, in, in chapter 19. There is the theme of seeing. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a focus on seeing. Seeing, um, Jesus has just healed a blind man in the previous chapter. The man just wanted to see. And in this instance, Zacchaeus wants to see, and Jesus sees him. Luke always emphasizes that that. that desire to, to see. In the Gospel of Luke, there is a, a, a rather um, deliberate emphasis on rich and poor. It's in the Gospel of Luke where in, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the poor, not just the poor in spirit, but, but the poor. Luke always has an eye for the poor. He focuses on the poor. And no, notice also the, the rich and the poor. Jesus in the previous chapter, in, in, in chapter 18, verse 25, he makes that amazing statement that it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to get into heaven. I mean, Jesus said that, but then Jesus goes on to say, well, what is impossible with people is possible with God. You understand? So Luke has emphasized that that difficulty for a rich man to uh, actually come into the kingdom of heaven. And then in chapter 19, right after that, in chapter 19, we meet a man, Zacchaeus, and he is introduced to us first as Chief tax collector, it's one of the only places in scripture where we get that title. Lots of people are tax collectors. And in the biblical context, you're probably used to the fact that tax collectors are despised. Nobody likes them. Everybody assumes that they're crooked. A tax collector was despised for really sort of two reasons. First off, he was working for Rome. The Roman Empire. It was the Roman Empire that was imposing taxes on all of the far-flung nations that were now a part of the empire. And the Jews hated that. They hated the occupation of the Romans in their holy land. They despised Caesar and they despised paying taxes. So number one, they don't like tax collectors because they don't like paying taxes. But number two, tax collectors were typically Jewish people who then were working for Rome. And so it always felt like a betrayal. 
Why would you take taxes from your own people? Why would you work for Rome? Why would you turn your back on your people? So there's that too, that feeling that the local folks shouldn't work for a despised you know, Roman emperor. But then there's also the way that tax collectors typically make their money. Rome would take out their 10% or whatever, and you come and give your 10%, but then the tax collector would just add a little bit more to the top of that, and that was his profit. And tax collectors were allowed pretty much to add whatever they could get away with. And so tax collectors were doubly despised for that reason. Often they were gouging people. Often they were taking a little bit too much off the top and that was what was going into their pockets. So Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector and a very, very wealthy man, which is what we're told in his introduction, which lets us know this guy has really risen high in this despised profession, and he's made himself very, very wealthy. So that's Zacchaeus. Now, just in the context of Luke, that ought to get your mind going. It sets you up with certain things. He's a tax collector, and Luke likes to focus on the outcasts. He likes to focus on the people that everybody else despises or overlooks. That's typical in the gospel of Luke. So all of these themes are sort of racing together in this amazing story on the day when Jesus goes to Jericho. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. The problem is not necessarily that he's short. He was short. Some of you are short. The scripture doesn't say that he's like freakishly short. You know, it doesn't mean that he was like Ant-Man or, or something, you know, running around. It's just that he was shorter than most people. So understand, he's not some sort of, you know, circus sideshow short. He's just short. The problem is not that he's short. The problem is the crowd. The problem is the crowd. And once more, in the Gospel of Luke, the crowd is emphasized. The crowd is a theme. And increasingly, the crowd is a problem. Now you would say, why are people, you know, associated with Jesus? If there's a crowd around Jesus, is that not a good thing? Don't we want people to come to Jesus? Don't we want people to hear Jesus' teaching? And the answer is yes. We want people to hear Jesus' teaching. We want people to come to Jesus. That's why the crowd has become a problem. There is a number of people who always show up when Jesus is teaching, but they're not followers. We wouldn't call them followers. They're just, what, attenders? I don't, I don't know. Show-uppers, is that a word? They just show up. They show up early. They get the best seats, and they don't listen. We do want people to listen to Jesus' teaching, but these people don't listen. They never listen. They're not there to hear Jesus. They're there to find fault with Jesus in many instances, or they're there to see a miracle. They're just fans, but not followers, understand? Or they're Pharisees, but not followers. They're not listening, and they're not following, but they're there. And increasingly in the Gospel of Luke, their presence is a problem, because even though they are there, what happens is they actually prevent other people from coming to Jesus, like Zacchaeus. Do you see? His short, but his height is not the problem. The problem is the crowd. 
The problem is the fact that there's all of these people lining the streets to see Jesus and they're never going to let Zacchaeus through. They're never going to give him a, a position in the front where he could actually meet Jesus. The crowd is not going to do that. The only thing the crowd is going to do is block the way, stand in the way. I mean, this is what the crowd does. Now, if, if you're like me, this really bothers me because all of my life, I have been a part of the crowd around Jesus. I mean, I'm that guy and you are too now. Now, we don't want to be the crowd that keeps people from coming to Jesus. We want to be the followers of Jesus. I mean, we want to see to it that more and more people do come to Jesus and more and more people do get to hear what Jesus says. But the fact is, we are as likely as some of those people to just become the obstacle in the, in the way. We can block the view. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I guess the big question today is if the person who wants to see Jesus sees only you, will they ever see Jesus at all? A lot of the people in the world, the people in our community, they don't see Jesus, they don't hear Jesus, they don't read the Bible, but they see us. They see us, and this is my question. If all they ever see is us, will they be pointed to Jesus? Will they learn to love Jesus? Will they see enough Jesus in us to want to see more and more and, and, and more? Uh, as pastor, prob- I don't know if I hear more of these stories or if you would hear more because some of you are more, more out in, in the world of lost people than I am, but... Um, I hear stories all the time of, of people who have encounters with Christian people, with church people, and that makes them just want to run. It, it makes them less likely to want to hear the gospel. It makes them less likely to trust anything that, that, that we would say. And, and it's not really just based on uh, rumors or you know, prejudice against you know, people of faith. You know, it, often it's, it's just real experience with us. It wasn't our church, but I, but I do know a guy who invited a girl that he met out on a Friday night. He invited her to come to church with him on Sunday. And so she came to his church. She came to church with him on Sunday. And she was really interested. She'd never really been to church in her whole life, never really had been invited. So the fact that this guy cared enough to invite her, that, that meant something to her. So, so she got up early on Sunday morning, which she had never done, and she went to church. Now, she had this vague knowledge that people dress up at church, that they wear their best. And so she wore really the only dress she had, which was this little black kind of slinky thing, strapless little dress that she often wore out uh, dancing uh, on the weekends, which is what she did. Um, she just wore the, the only and the best dress she had because she thought that's what you do. But when she walked in that church on that Sunday morning, nobody said anything but nobody had to say anything. She felt people looking at her. She walked in and instantly felt out of place, instantly felt put outside. She felt it. Honestly, all she did was wear the very best dress that she had, and she assumed that that's what you were supposed to do. But when she got there, she realized that she was wrong. And she told the guy later she really didn't ever see herself coming back to church. 
Understand how that works. Understand how we just sort of establish a culture which sort of guarantees that we always feel comfortable and other people are often going to be made to feel uncomfortable. But we don't really think about the way that our actions, our words, what we used to call our testimony. We often don't think about how our very lives in the world often actually prevent people from coming to Jesus. I would just say it this way. It's hard for lost people to meet Jesus if they meet us first and just want to run away. It's very difficult for people to want to know more about Jesus, lost people to meet Jesus if they meet us first. And then we don't have the love of Jesus. We don't have the good news of Jesus. We don't have the grace of Jesus. You you understand what I'm saying? So Zacchaeus' problem is not that he is short in stature. Zacchaeus' problem is that there is a crowd around Jesus who aren't following Jesus. They're not really listening to Jesus. They really have no intention of having their lives changed by Jesus. But they're all there taking up all the good seats and blocking the view. It's the crowd that's the problem. It's absolutely the crowd that is a problem. So Zacchaeus runs ahead and climbs a tree. I think that's awesome. This is one of those stories we always tell children in church, primarily because, number one, all children are short. And I guess we figure they're going to love this. So all children are short. But also, it's just this guy who just seems in some ways so free to just climb a tree. I mean, who does that? Who climb, what grown men, or I guess he's, I don't know, he's, who climbs trees uh, in public, in a crowd? Who does that? I mean, Zacchaeus in some ways is going to look a little bit ridiculous, a little foolish. It's been a long time since I've seen a grown man in a tree. As a grown man, it's been a long time since I've gotten myself up into a tree. And at 55, if I get in one, y'all will have to get me out. I mean, understand, this is just sort of a strange thing, but it only illustrates one very, very important principle. Zacchaeus is that determined to see Jesus. Nothing is going to keep him away. I mean, a lot of people might just turn around and go home, but Zacchaeus is willing and ready to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes just to see Jesus. So when Jesus comes by, I mean, think about this. Jesus comes by. Jesus is coming into Jericho. We know Zacchaeus is in the tree, but it doesn't seem like anybody else would know. We just happen to know that part of the story. But Jesus knows. Again, little miracles here, but but make no mistake, this is Jesus. He knows Zacchaeus is in the tree. He knows Zacchaeus' name. He does not say, hey, you, short dude up in the tree. Yeah, you, come on down. You know, he doesn't say that. Hey, you up in the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must go to your house. It's that must. I must go to your house. It's like they have an appointment. You see that? It is as if the only reason that Jesus has come to town this day is for this, for this man named Zacchaeus and this encounter. It's almost like Jesus has done all of this just for him. You want to know what I believe? Jesus does all of this just for him. It is an appointment. It is personal. It is for Zacchaeus. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. 
Zacchaeus, you come down. And then Jesus announces in public. If you're going to invite yourself to somebody's house, I don't know the most graceful way to do that, but Jesus does it in public. Zacchaeus, I must come to your house for dinner today. I mean, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus's house to eat in front of everybody. And what does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus is thrilled. I mean, Zacchaeus is thrilled. He's excited. He can't wait to take Jesus home with him. I, I love that. I really, really do. Because as you understand, one of Luke's themes in the Gospel of Luke is the fact that Jesus comes eating and drinking. I mean, of all the things it says that Jesus does in his mission, it's in the Gospel of Luke where it says, the Son of Man comes eating and drinking. Jesus does a lot of eating and drinking. This is how we know he was Baptist. He eats and he drinks. He loves to go to people's houses. Every time you look up, he's sitting at a table with people. And Jesus is at every party and he's the life of every party. The Gospel of Luke always emphasizes the fact that if you want to find Jesus, he's probably at a table with people. But the thing is, he's almost always at a table with the wrong people. Almost always at a table with the people that nobody else would be caught dead at a table with. Remember, the Pharisees especially were very, very concerned with what they considered spiritual cleanliness. They had no concept of germs. They had no concept of viruses. They had no concept of how sickness or anything like that is spread. So their concept of spiritual hygiene is not really connected to a fear of germs. It's really just connected to this idea that I am somehow clean and pure and everybody else is not. So I don't want to bump up against you because I don't want whatever it is on you on me. You understand? It's spiritual. It's this idea of spiritual purity, but spiritual superiority. You just don't mix it up. You don't get close. You don't rub elbows. You certainly do not eat at the table of someone who is spiritually unclean. And in the Pharisees' mind, the whole world is, is pretty much spiritually unclean. They invented social distancing. And so when Jesus announces, and make no mistake, he does this on purpose. He wants everybody to know, I'm going to Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector's house, for a good long lunch. I mean, this is what Jesus does. He, he makes this sort of a public thing. He wants everybody to know, I am going to Zacchaeus' house, and I'm going to eat there. And the Pharisees and the crowd loses their mind. They lose their mind. The scripture just says very, very gently, the people were displeased. They're displeased. Because Jesus is going to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Not just somebody that, you know, is a tax collector. I mean, I mean, for them, it's, it's like if you could pick one house in town that you would never be caught dead eating in, it would be this house. And Jesus makes a point of saying, by the way, everybody, lunch at Zacchaeus is for me today. I mean, it's not the lunch that Jesus wants to make very, very public. Do you understand that? It's not the lunch. It's the acceptance. It's acceptance. 
for a man, Zacchaeus, who has been publicly despised, publicly ridiculed, publicly disowned, and and, and publicly avoided for years and years and years in his own town, this kind of acceptance is actually pretty powerful. Jesus makes a point, a deliberate point, of associating himself with somebody that's a sinner. I'm sure there are lots and lots of decent religious people whose homes would have been completely acceptable and raised no eyebrows, but Jesus isn't interested. He wants to make his grace, his amazing grace, his infinite acceptance. He just wants everybody to know that he loves Zacchaeus as much as he loves anybody else in the whole world. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, I must go to your house. As if there's no other place to go. As if there's no place else he'd rather be. As if everything else in the whole universe brings him to this moment. And this is a divine appointment. I must go to your house. People are displeased. I would just say it this way. It's a bad sign if people coming to Jesus is, 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 is somehow displeasing to you. That's just got to be a bad sign. When you see people falling in love with Jesus, when you see people coming to Jesus, I mean, when you see people coming into our church and filling the pews, and when you see people coming in hungry to learn, and if there's anything about that that sort of ruins your day, There is something profoundly broken in you. It's just a bad sign that people coming to Jesus doesn't please you. He's going to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumble. That's interesting. Because they know all about Zacchaeus, don't they? They know all about him. He's notorious, which is a way of saying everybody knows His sin is notorious. We all know who he is. We know what he is. We know what he does. We know what he's done. Everybody, he is notorious. Which is what makes the next verse kind of interesting. Now, I know how we've always read it, and I know how the New Living Translation translates verse 8, but I just want you to understand that there's a lot of controversy about how to translate verse 8. For the simple reason that all of the verbs are present tense. When Zacchaeus talks, all of the verbs are present tense. So what he says is something like, here and now, I give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody on their taxes, I I am paying them back four times. He says that present tense, which makes it kind of... What's he saying? Now, understand the the setting. The people are saying, he's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. And then Zacchaeus stands before the Lord. I love that. Stands before the Lord and says, here and now, I give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody on their taxes, I pay them back four times. Do you understand that you can take that two ways? Because what Zacchaeus might be saying is, you don't know me. You don't know me. You think I'm a crook. You think that I love money. But you don't know me. I give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I ever, ever make a mistake on taxes, I pay them back four times. It is altogether possible that they don't know Zacchaeus like they think they know Zacchaeus. 
It is altogether possible that he is not crooked. It is altogether possible that this is a generous, honest man who happens to do a dirty job. But it is altogether possible that they don't know him. That what they think they know is not the truth. It's altogether possible that Zacchaeus for the first time stands up and says, you all don't know me. I give half of my wealth to the poor. If I ever make a mistake on taxes, I pay them back four times. You don't know me. It's also possible that he's saying, okay, from now on. I mean, you could take it that way too. Here and now, like from now on, I'm going to start giving half of my wealth to the poor. And, and I'm going to, if I, if I make a mistake from here on, I'll pay them back four times. We don't know. We don't know which way to take that. Now, one way or the other, he's a sinner. One way or the other, he's a sinner. I'm not taking anything away from that. He's a sinner. Because we all are. And everybody else in the crowd that day that, 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 that feels so high and mighty, they're sinners too. Whatever makes Zacchaeus different, the fact that he's a sinner is not what sets him apart. You understand what I'm saying? Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, here and now I, I give half my wealth to the poor. And Lord, if, if I cheat people on their taxes, I, I give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man is a true son of Abraham. You understand? It's really not that some of us are sinners and some of us are not. It's that some of us are saved and some of us are not. And at the end of this story, Zacchaeus is a sinner like everybody else, but he's saved. Salvation has come to this man's house today. Do you see that? I love the way everybody, you know, standing there saying, Jesus is going to the home of a sinner, a notorious sinner. You know, like, like everybody knew all about him or they thought they did. And everybody had the same word for him, he's sinner. And, and I love Jesus because I love the way Jesus just says, salvation has come to this home today. For This man is, uh, he, he doesn't say sinner, he calls him what? Son. Yeah. Yeah. He may be a sinner to you, and he is a sinner, but he's a son. It's the difference that Jesus makes. Some of you may actually feel more like Zacchaeus than anything else in this story. This may really come home for you because. Um, it is easy for other people in the world to think they know us. And it is easy once they put us in a certain category, it's really, really easy for them to leave us in that category. People make up their minds about us. People expect that uh, we'll never change, that we can never change, and, and they don't know us. I love how, as I said in the previous chapter, you know, Jesus has said this very, very, very difficult for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. But what is impossible with, with men is, is possible with God. I love how he turns right around and gives us this story of this, I guess, impossible person. 
who is saved in a way that in some way seems just so easy. He just wants Jesus, you know. He knows he needs Jesus. I don't know what he's heard about Jesus. I don't know what it is that makes him climb that tree that day, but he just wants Jesus. And he meets Jesus. And at the end of this story, Zacchaeus will never be the same because of Jesus. The story ends with Jesus' own words. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Can I just say this and and I'll be done. Uh, When you are walking with Jesus, you share his mission. And and this is his mission, to to, to seek and, and to save the lost. So when you see Jesus coming into Jericho and it seems almost like it was just a divine appointment that all of this was just for this one man who really, really needed salvation, then understand, yes, that's exactly the point of the story. That's exactly the point of Jesus' whole trip. He would make the trip to Jericho for one because his mission is to seek and to save the lost. He will always go after the one. You know, that truly is our mission too. Our mission is not just to get all the best seats, you know, to fill up the church, to to soak up the sermons. I I mean, it's good that we all want to know more about Jesus, and it's very, very important that we follow him and learn from him. But it's equally important, if not more important, that we share his mission to see to it that the lost get found, To, to see to it that they get found and saved, and that means to bring them to Jesus, every single one to Jesus. So I just wanted to think about your life this coming week. If there is going to be a brawl in the aisle at Walmart over the very last canister of hand sanitizer, let's not let it be you that shows up on the news, you know, you know, pinning somebody down to the floor, you know, for, for that. If, if it really does come down to people needing to make sacrifices, if it really does come down to people who need to show extravagant love to neighbors, if it really does come down to the people of God needing to be the people of God, then let's be the people of God really does come down to beginning to see in stark contrast those who have the peace that comes from Christ and those who do not have the peace. Let's make sure that we're on the side of those who have the peace that comes from Christ because we have a mission and that mission has in no no wise in any way been canceled because of any sort of public health crisis. We are the people of God. We have a mission to see to it that the lost get found, to see to it that the whole world knows who Jesus is and knows the grace and the love and the peace and the welcome, the acceptance that come from him. So you have a mission. You may be doing it with a certain kind of social distancing, but make no mistake. Those who see you and me in the world every single day, when they look at us, they need to see Jesus. Because for some people, if they don't see Jesus in you and me, they may not see him at all. Pray with me.